1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, this is the 47th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, so thank you for downloading, for listening, and for subscribing, as well as leaving a review on iTunes and giving it a rating. I do appreciate those of you who have taken the time to do so, and I'd encourage you, if you have a moment, to go ahead and uh, leave a review and a rating as time permits. And additionally, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, anything like that regarding either the podcast or the content on castingacross.com, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm Matthew at castingacross.com. You can use the contact form on the website. You can utilize all my social media links, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and I'm happy to interact. I I mentioned before, I do my best within a day to get back to everybody. Every once in a while, something slips through the cracks. And especially if you leave a comment on the website, I don't think there's necessarily a mechanism to let you know that I've responded. But I have dutifully for years responded to every comment on the website. Um, Part of it is that I'm a little obsessive compulsive about it. Part of it is, as I've said before, if you've taken the time to read and write, but then go beyond that to ask a question or make a comment, I feel like uh, I owe it to you to respond. So definitely do that. I enjoy that. It uh, makes this uh, fun. So this week on the podcast, I want to talk about three things that I wish I would have known when I started fly fishing. Or more accurately, three things that I know now that I wish I would have done when I started fly fishing. So this can be applicable to me today. It can be applicable to you today, whether you've been fly fishing for decades, as I have, uh, or certainly many of you have probably been fishing for many more decades than I have, or if you're just getting started. These are things that, looking back, I wish I would have done a little bit better because I've seen the value in them. And it's not that I'm playing from behind. I think that there's a pretty big, gracious learning curve in fly fishing. But these are things that I wish my 15, 16, or even 25-year-old self would have known when I was was continuing to learn and develop as an angler. The first one, and this might sound a little bit intense, but take more guided trips and pay the money. Take more guided trips and pay the money. So I've talked about this before, but a guided trip isn't just a way to get fish. A lot of people think that paying a guide $300, $500, $700 is just paying money to get fish. And I remember having that mindset for years and years, and I would 
take guided trips for trout, for bass in the salt water when I was a teenager and when I was younger. And for whatever reason, I really was narrowly focused on that. And as at that age, most of those trips were gifts, but I still saw it very much as just a way to catch a fish. Now I've really come to appreciate everything that I'm learning. My guide isn't just a person who's putting me on a trout, isn't just a person who's putting me on a striped bass. There's somebody who is showing me how to be a better angler in general and how to approach the situation that we're in in specific. And that is worth the money, if you can afford it, of course. So a lot of times that means that's a gift or that's your big expense of the year. Or instead of doing two DIY trips, you do one guided trip. And of course, there's a value judgment there. What matters more to you? What can you afford? Certainly, you don't want to put yourself at some sort of economical disadvantage or do anything foolish with your money just to learn how to fish better or catch more fish. But even if it's a half day, you know, that's always one of those things where the um, the full day trip is so enticing from a cost perspective because, like, for example, I know one trout guide uh, locally, it's 350 bucks for a half day and 450 for a full day. And so you're basically doubling your time for 100 bucks. And so it, it usually makes sense to go for that full day trip. But if you can't afford that, if you can only afford that half day and then the extra money to tip your guide well, then do it because then you can take that second half of the day and fish yourself and take everything that you just learned and put it into practice and you'll probably have a pretty good second half of the day but I wish I would have had that approach and instead of accumulating more stuff taking some of those resources taking some of those finances and applying it to more guided trips even on water that I feel like I know very well. In fact, that's probably a really good use of a half-day trip is maybe getting a local guide that fishes the water that you're going to be on all the time and picking their brain, especially if they have a reputation for being a good angler and, and being somebody who is just super fishy or just has a lot of experience on the water. So, That'd be the first thing that I would have changed a little bit about my approach to fly fishing when I was younger is definitely allocate a little bit more time and resources towards tapping into guides. That's the first thing. Second thing is to not give up so easily. Not give up so easily. So what do I mean by that? Well, a few things. One, stay out a little bit later wake up a little bit earlier when the weather's a little bit dicey not dangerous like lightning and tornadoes and floods dicey but when it's a little overcast a little drizzly don't use those as excuses i can't think of many times at all where i went out in adverse conditions or when it was a little bit early or a little bit late and i regretted it for that reason it might be because I did something else that was dumb. I waded in too deep and got wet or I fell down or I lost a bunch of flies or I just wasn't approaching the water well and I didn't catch fish or I just didn't catch fish just because I didn't catch fish. But it was never because I was out early and it was never because I stayed up late. It was never because I went out on a day where the time was a little bit tight or I went out when it was a little bit overcast or a little bit hot or the water was a little bit high or the water was a little bit low not wimping out and getting out there and fishing always paid off. It's always been something that I've enjoyed and I've appreciated. 
And I found myself in situations and circumstances that I wouldn't have otherwise found myself in if I just pushed myself a little bit more. And totally transparent, in my mid-30s with four kids, I don't have that many opportunities like I used to. I certainly get out and fish plenty, and I'm, I'm not complaining about that, but it's one of those things where you really need to strike while the iron's hot. And when you have those opportunities, take it. I feel like I'm super uh, vigilant now when I see opportunities to jump at it, to just be ready to go, ready to roll, and not like running away from my family, but if they're doing something and for whatever reason I'm I'm not with them, not to sit around the house, not to do something other than fishing. If I'm making fly fishing a priority and I want to do it, then do it. I'm not going to regret it. So the second thing really is to take advantage of those times where you might say, Ugh, it'd just be so much more comfortable to stay in bed. You know, I can show up on the river at nine as opposed to seven. Or, you know, if I head back, I can, you know, go to a real restaurant as opposed to fast food. Those things are nice. And if you're fishing a lot, you know what, you can, you can cut corners there. But if you're not fishing as much as you'd like, or you just aren't fishing a lot in, in general, then really taking advantage of that extra time, whether it be an hour at the beginning of the day, an hour at the end of the day, or again, a day that's not ideal from a weather or conditions perspective is something that looking back, there's a lot of times where I turn down fishing because I really become spoiled. When I was living in Virginia, there was just awesome bass rivers and ponds everywhere, and I, I didn't have to drive very long. I didn't have to put in a lot of effort to get into good fish. When I was living in Pennsylvania, the same was true of trout. There was trout everywhere. If the conditions weren't ideal, I said, eh, I don't need to go fishing today. Well, now, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, sometimes those crummy weather days are some of the best days for catching fish. So that's one of the approaches that I really think I would have changed in hindsight, especially when I was living on really, really good water. All right, so first thing, guided trips. Second thing, don't wimp out. Don't cut corners when it comes time to get a little bit more fishing in. The third thing, and this has a, a certain significance to, to the podcast and to the website Casting Across, but I think this is also a, a good thing in, in general for anybody who, who fishes, whether you want to turn that into some sort of creative outlet or not, and that is to record what you're doing. Now, I'm not saying get a GoPro and wear it on your head and photograph every fish you catch. I'm not saying to hire a camera crew and follow you around. A journal, a very brief journal. Just if I had done that from the time I was, you know, 13, 14, 15 when I started fly fishing to today, y'all would have a lot more exciting stuff to listen to and read about. Um, I'd have a, a lot more material and I'd have a lot more memories at my disposal. You know, I feel like I can kind of remember most things and sometimes a picture will spur it or a particular piece of gear will bring it back or as I'm driving through Maryland or Pennsylvania, Virginia or um, even the Carolinas, I'll, I'll see something and say, oh, I remember that time I was there. But just sitting here right now in front of my computer, it's really hard to differentiate between this trip and that trip, especially as I was just saying when I was fishing as much as I was. For a while, I did keep a journal, just a composition book. I think I was in high school, so I had a lot of composition books. And so I started, and I, that lasted for a few years. But 
it tapered off and it dropped off. And it's really neat to go back and read some of those experiences and only a few sentences can take me back. And I'm sure there's a lot of holes I'm filling in with other memories, but by and large, I can go back exactly to that situation, what I was doing, where I was. And it's amazing some of the things that you can remember, the fish you caught, the clothes you had on, the, the rod you were using, the, the car you were driving, what you ate that night. And as you get older and as things either become a little bit more dim as far as memory goes or m more memories kind of merge together and it's difficult to discern what was what and when was when, um, both from an angling perspective and from a personal perspective, those re records recorded memories, those stories, those journal entries, whatever you want to say, can be valuable, both for, again, angling purposes and personal purposes. So uh, angling purposes, you know, you keep track. I caught this fish in this condition. I caught that fish in that condition. This hatch was going on. This is what the weather was. Now, there's a lot of folks that keep those kind of records only. It's a fish log. How many fish I caught, what they were biting on, what wasn't working, uh, the, the weather, the barometer, you, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm a little bit less concerned about that. I know that there's a lot of people who do that, and there's actually apps out there on your phone that can kind of keep that information so it can be cataloged very easily and kind of um, viewed with some sort of uh, metrics behind it. I'm more concerned personally about what happened and what I was doing, what I, who I was doing it with. Um, those are the kind of things that make me smile um, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. Not so much that the blooming olives were 18, but I was catching them on 16s, even though there's a bunch of 18s on the water. You know, I mean, actually, that's kind of fun to think about. But, you know, just the, the specifics and the numbers and logistics aren't as exciting as those memories that are surrounding it. So I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage myself to do that, I guess. I mean, these are things that I'm saying them and I mean them for you, for me, whether you are a new angler or you're somebody who's been fishing for a long time. These are the kind of things that I think can you can benefit from and they will improve your, your angling. So record, even if it's short, went fishing today, caught a bunch of fish, broke my wading boot, fell in the water, but I had a great burger on the way home and did it with so-and-so. Something simple like that. I mean, it, you'll be surprised. You don't have to be some literary genius particularly eloquent with the pen. Um, you can even type it into the notes section on your phone. But to have something, I think you will appreciate that. I know I regret not doing it better when I was younger, especially when I was really young. That would have been fun to look back now at the way I thought about fly fishing um, when I was 16, 17, 18. So those are three things that I wish I would have done better when I was younger that I knew when I was younger, but I definitely know now put more money and time towards guided fly fishing, stay out later, get up earlier, and fish on the ugly days more, and then keep a record of all of it. So those three things. Is there something that you know now as a mature fly fisher that you wish you would have known or you wish you would have done that you knew but you didn't really pay attention to when you were a beginner fly fisher or even just a few years ago? If so, let me know 
in the bottom of the page on castingacross.com under this podcast or shoot me an email again matthew at castingacross.com or any of the social media um, outlets that this podcast will be appearing in it'd be great and i anticipate doing a second uh, podcast like this sometime in the future so i might incorporate those if i agree if i disagree then maybe i'll mention it but anyway this week on castingacross.com, two articles uh, as per usual. The first one was called, scrolling down on the website as I speak, Don't Fly Fish With More Than You Need. And there's one of these nulled picture, K-N-O-L-L, to null something. I don't know if I'm using it properly, the, the the word, but it's where you line everything up. These were pretty in vogue for a while. You know, you line up all your fishing gear and take a picture of it. They've kind of fallen out of fashion. I think people thought they were hokey, but I guess now's the time to strike that. And I wanted to show how little I get away with, especially when I'm running into the woods to fish. So uh, Monday, I went for a run up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and I had my little Douglas Upstream 2 weight and only the necessities. Really, the biggest thing I was carrying was a second pair of shoes. Switch out of my trail runners into wet wading shoes. And even though it was in the 50 degrees, the water felt fantastic up there. So I talk a little bit about my approach on carrying only what I need. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast. You're always going to be surprised with how little you use. I mean, all those flies. Think about all the flies you carry. And I don't care if you are offshore chasing really big fish um, in blue water or you are, like I was, on a little brook trout stream. You're not using hundreds of flies. You'd probably be okay with a few dozen flies. Um, In some patterns, in some sizes, in some colors, you know you're going to use. So I've really gotten to the point where I do that. And I don't feel scared. I don't feel like I don't have my security blanket. And really... Fly boxes are the biggest space uh, demanding piece of gear that we have in our vests, in our sling packs, in our bags. So if you can cut that down, you're you're a long ways to cutting down your overall gear. A quick thing, and I know I'm kind of going aside, but it's short podcast as it is. One of the great things I think to do is to have that core fly box, which is small, and then carry a big briefcase style box and have that in a backpack or have that stored away. That way, if you feel like, you know what, I might run into a situation where I do need a size 12 cinnamon ant and I might need it in the situation or might need this really obscure wet fly because there's a chance I caught a fish out here once 10 years ago. If you need that, that's your security blanket, have it somewhere, but you don't need to have it where it's taking up that, that important space. So this is one way where I have gotten to think about what I really need. It's when I have a small hydration pack on because I'm running and I'm very content with what I have. So don't fly fish with more than you need. That was Monday. Wednesday was an article called, Can You Get Away From Everything? And this is um, really more of a heady kind of thinking about fly fishing and thinking about your approach to fishing. And I try not to be poetic or anything like that. That's not my intention. But it really is, you know, fishing is getting away, but it's not like you're totally segregating your fishing life and your outdoors life from the rest of your life. Uh, Most of us think about important things that we have left behind when we're out fishing and we can have great moments of clarity. And for you, if that's just introspection, because that's what you you do, or if you are the praying type and you're finding uh, guidance when you're fishing or when you're running or you're hiking, 
Either way, that can happen and that needs to happen. Um, otherwise, I think you embitter yourself towards your normal life. If fly fishing is this totally separate and different thing, your time in the woods is totally different and separate, uh, you need to have some continuity between these two. So anyway, wrote a little bit about that on the post that was called, Can You Get Away From Everything? So again, make sure you subscribe to the website. You'll hear about the new podcasts if they don't pop up automatically in your podcast player, but you'll also get those articles as well at castingacross.com. This week's recommendation is a book. Previously, in another podcast, I recommended About Trout, a book by Robert Banke, and it was a compilation of his articles that appeared in Trout Magazine, the magazine you get when you're a member of Trout Unlimited. But Trout and Salmon of North America is kind of his magnum opus, and it's hard to believe, but the book is almost 20 years old. It's actually only 17 years old, but it is an amazing book, hundreds of pages, descriptions, beautiful illustrations of all of the fish, all the salmonids um, and char that you're going to find in North America. Dr. Banky, the late Dr. Banky, was the world's foremost expert on North American salmonids. And it's fascinating to see the history, the biology, and some of the kind of angling notes because Dr. Banky wasn't just a scientist. He is a scientist and a fly fisher. And he loved getting involved with the fish that he was writing about. I mentioned before that I had the privilege of spending a good amount of time with Dr. Banky before he passed away, obviously. Um, but uh, this is a great book. It's a coffee table book. It's a reference book. It's a book that you can just read. It's a, it's a reference book that you can read. And if somebody writes a reference book that you can just sit down and read, uh, that's the kind of book that you need to get if you're at all interested in the subject matter. And if you're listening to a podcast like this, you're probably interested in Trout and Salmon of North America. So I'll put a link to that book on the show notes of this page, as I try to do every week on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.